Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. Are you ready for the word today? Now, before I bring you the word, um, a bit of a um, heads up, those online, those in the room. This is an M-rated message. I'm caught 13 plus. So I'm, I'm, our, next pass, our next part of 1 Thessalonians is 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul talks around sexual immorality. So we're going to talk about sex today. So those online, if you're sitting with little people, maybe this isn't the best message for them to sit with. I recommend 13 plus. And for the uh, 10.30 service, we've texted all the parents that are part of Arise, I'm in power, to say, we, we encourage your kid to stay in, but maybe this isn't, the, if you choose them not to, they can go out to Arise. M-rated, is that Okay. You might listen a bit better today. Hey, imagine. Let's pray and dive in. Father, thank you for this word. We thank you for the opportunity to share it. We pray, Lord, that you would speak, that your name will be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, give me all that I need to present this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as you may know, I, I just spent a bit of time in Cambodia and... One of the things I look forward to on the plane flight is not the food or the lack of sleep, but the movies. What's the, what's the latest movie coming out? I was looking through and tell you, Singapore Airlines, sorry, Martin and Rebecca, about to go to England on Sunday. We, oh, today. You're flying out today for six weeks. God bless you, Martin and Rebecca. May God's mercies be upon you, and may you travel safe and have an incredible time seeing your kids. Amen? Amen. Amen. Singapore Airlines, not great movie. So I was flipping through, and I found this one. Oh, not that one. Oh, no. We've got the wrong PowerPoint up. It's the wrong PowerPoint. Anyway, it's... Um, which should be 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 on sexual purity. That, that's the heading. And if we haven't got it, we'll have to wing it without it. Um, it was a movie called Vacation. And it's, it's, it's a takeoff of the movie, the uh, Chevy Chafer's movie, National Lampoon's Vacation, that was, that was made in 1983. You know that crazy Chevy Chase? He created those crazy movies. Anyway, the uh, son in the Chevy Chase movie is now the dad in this movie. And I went... That seems interesting. I might watch that a bit of comedy. It's one of those things where, where they... There we go. You got it. Well, I'm really hot. Where they attempt to go to Wally World. And um, thank you, Christy. Where they attempt to go to Wally World. And there's the, um, the father in the story. And everything goes wrong. They crash. They can't do this. They can't do that. One of those crazy movies. Anyway. So as I was watching this movie, we are, they're, 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 they're driving across the US to a place called Wally World. And on the way, they're, they're going to go past the, the wife, in the, Christina Applegate, the blonde lady, her college. And as they go to the college, they find a group of kids that know about the mum because she was crazy in college. She did all these crazy things, and there's a memorial and a day all about her because of her craziness. The next thing is that they're back in their hotel room having a conversation. And, and the husband asks to his... The husband, the man here, asks Christina... How many sexual partners did you have before we were married? And she says, Arthur, and he goes, and then he interrupts and says, only three. Oh, that's good, because I had three too. And then, and then she goes, no, 30. And at that, you can see he is saddened and like discouraged. And he goes, and you could tell in his facial expression, oh dear. Now, what comes out of his, what comes out of his mouth next shocks me. I expected him to say something like, oh, wow, that's a lot, and feel bad about that. But what he actually said was, I don't know the exact words, it was a while ago, but let me give you the gist. He said, oh, man. He felt sad and embarrassed because he lost. 
his wife did better than him because she had more sexual partners before marriage than he did. Now, that was a shock to me because who wants their partner to have lots of sexual partners before they're married? Who wants that? We don't want that, do we? Who wants them to have any sexual partners before the one they marry? And as I watched this, which was a shock to me, it got me thinking about Australian society. And I went, that's a shock to me, but I wonder how normal this is. And I think society in Australia has radically changed, where sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, multiple sexual partners is normal. Would you agree? One night stands, having sex early in a relationship, that's normal. Affairs and all that stuff is now almost expected. You go, yeah, there's just another one. Yeah, just another one. Because it's so, it's so common. As we hit 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have the Apostle Paul writing into a culture that's very similar to what it is today. Sex in the Roman Empire was um, totally immoral. They were involved in much sexual perversion. Here is a quote from a Bible scholar named F.F. Bruce. He's one of the nerds, the commentators, and he writes this. A man... Um, about a husband and a wife. A man might have a mistress who could provide him also with intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it easier for him to have a concubine, while casual gratification was readily available from a harlot or a prostitute. The function of his wife was to manage his household and to be the mother of his legitimate children and heirs. So this gives you a picture of what, of what it was to be a married man in the Roman Empire in the first century where Paul is writing his letter to Thessalonica. The man was married, but it was most likely to have a number of sexual partners, a slave in the house, a mistress, and even a prostitute. And that was, it was normal to have sex outside of marriage. There's this other guy which I found, um, William Leckie, in the History of European Morals, writes this. There was probably never more. There's never. There's probably never been a period when vice, which is immorality, was more extravagant or uncontrolled than it was under the Caesars. What was going on in the Roman Empire was wild. It was wild, and it wasn't just in secular society. It was involved in the religions of the time. Now there were demonic religions. They had in um, Corinth the worship of um, Aphrodite which was the goddess of sex, also connected with the planet Venus. Um, At night, the priests of this goddess would send out prostitutes to roam the street at night to have sex with people as a way of gaining money, but also as a a way of worshipping this goddess. And in Thessalonica, where Paul's writing the letter, the the, the, uh, deity was Cabri, which was connected with the sea, who also involved sex as a worship to this god. So it was connected with their religion. It was connected as part of their society. And all you need to do is Google sex in the Roman Empire and boom, all this stuff. Boom, that's an interesting word, isn't it? All these articles come up, all, all this stuff around what was happening. And as I was flipping through some of these articles, there were, there were some people who were, writing, who were writing today about the Roman Empire. And they were writing it in a, in a way where they were celebrating, I'm using the word free sex. In other words, Sex any way you like it, with anyone you like, heterosexual, homosexual, multiple. These people who were celebrating um, free sex, 
was saying the Roman Empire was worse than it is today. Therefore, what we're doing isn't so bad. In other words, there is, there is much more distance for us to go in this area. And this is the context that the Apostle Paul is writing into in the first century. A place where people had sex outside of marriage. Heterosex, homosexual sex. There was pedophilia. There was orgies. You write the list. It was there as part of the Roman Empire. And Paul writes to these brand new Christians in Thessalonica and he writes, I want you to be sexually pure. And that's the title for today, Sexually Pure. Now let's pause for a moment because you might be thinking, Nathan, why are you going into so much depth about what was happening in the first century? Well, it's important for us to know for multiple reasons, but one of them is this. I speak to Christians today who have shifted, they're Christians, they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, but they've shifted their beliefs around sex, sex and sexuality. Where Christians, some Christians today think it's okay to have sex before marriage, live together before marriage. Some, I hear Christians, some Christians say homosexual relationships or homosexuality is okay. They say that and I say, well, um, how, do you, how do you read the Bible when the Bible seems very clear that sex outside of marriage is not okay, homosexuality is not okay? How do you... How do you read that? And, and, they say, and I've heard people say to me, well, what Paul was writing, he was writing into a different culture. And the meaning of words meant things that are different to what they are now. But what I've hopefully showed you is that the Roman Empire was very similar to what it is today. It was actually worse in some areas than it is today. And so what Paul writes, not only does he write with the authority of God, he's writing into a culture in the first century very similar that it is today. So this relates very specifically to us. Okay? Are we going okay? M-rated so far? We okay. So let me now take you to the text. Let me now take you to the text. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. It starts with Paul talking about living a life to please God, and then he talks about sexual morality. Here it is. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Live in the Lord, please him more and more. Verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Remember Paul's writing with whose authority? Jesus' authority. Verse 3. It is God's will. You want God's will for your life? Here it is. That you should be sanctified made holy, become set apart, live separate to the world, and that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans do who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such things as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And just to reinforce it, verse 8, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human, a, human being, a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So this text is in two parts. The first part is about living to please God. Paul writes to live to please God. And this is what we see in verse 1. He writes, As for other matters, brothers and sisters... We instructed you how to live in order to 
please God as in fact you are living. You know, God wants us to live a life that pleases him. And then this is like the first, the, the, um, the introduction of the next section. And he introduces three themes, the, the, the sex theme, which we're talking about today. Then he talks about working with your hands and also loving others. And you see that in verse 9 through 12. But we also need to just look at this briefly and say um, that God wants us to live a life that pleases him. And now where we can go wrong with this is that we can strive and think, well, if I do all these things, well, then, we'll, we'll I gobble, um, well, then God will accept, accept me and be pleased with me. Now, we need to separate the difference between standing and behavior. See, if you're in Christ, and hear this clearly, if you're in Christ, God is pleased with you. Hear that clearly. Phil, God is pleased with you. Why? Not because of what you've done or what you shouldn't have done or what you did do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. He's pleased with you. Amen? That's your standing. That's who you are. But as a Christian now, God wants you to live, away, live in a way that pleases him. It's a bit like my kids. I'm pleased with my kids simply because they're my kids. And some things they do make me smile. And some things they do make me, make me really, really frustrated. They're still my kids. They're still my, they're standing in the family secure, but not, I'm not necessarily pleased with them. Yeah? And, and so it is with God. And this is, this, is, this is the revelation I got, you know. Sometimes God is not pleased with me. Remember, my standing is secure. We're not talking about standing. I'm talking about behavior. Sometimes God doesn't like what I do. That's not cool. And surely, when we encounter the love of God, when we know what God has done deep in our hearts, we want to please him with our lives. God has given us the greatest gift, which is Jesus. There's nothing greater that God could have done other than give his own son to die for us. He gave his life for us that I could be forgiven, be in right standing with God, that God would be pleased with me. And friends, that is a motivation for us to live a life that pleases him. Please him because of what God has done for you. Amen? And then he says, don't just please him once. Go on pleasing him. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. Keep pleasing him. Each day, God, what can I do to please you today? And then he goes on and he says in verse 2, he talks about the authority in which he's writing. For you know what instructions we gave you, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So when Paul writes, he's writing with Jesus' authority. And then he says it again in verse 8. Therefore, anyone rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his spirit. So what Paul writes in this text is not Paul's made-up opinion. He writes, this is, what, this is how God, this is God speaking to you. Live a life that pleases him. So that's the first thing we see in this text. And the second thing we see is around pleasing God through sexual purity. And I'm just going to go through this verse, verse at a time, and, and uh, pull apart some of the things that are, that are important, and then we're going to land this message. Pleasing God through sexual purity. Verse 3, Paul writes this. <clears throat> it's God's will that you should be sanctified. You know, people say, what's God's will for my life? Well, there it is very clear. You know, sanctified means being made pure or being made holy. Now, in Christ, again, you're standing just like God's pleased with you. God sees you as sanctified because you're washed in the blood of Jesus. But again, behavior, 
God wants us to go on a journey of sanctification. In other words, becoming more and more like him, being more and more separate and separate from the world, living a life that pleases him. And then he says in verse 3 here again, he, what does that sanctified look like? That you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, the word sexual immorality is the, is the Greek word pornia, which where we get the idea of pornography, yeah? And it's written specifically around prostitutes. Pornia is connected with prostitutes. But it's actually bigger than that because the word pornia is used in multiple ways in, in the New Testament. It's, it's related to incest, adultery, orgies, immorality in Sodom, um, and that that this idea is sexual immorality is pretty much sex outside of marriage. So when you see this, just think sex outside of marriage. And, then when, and it's important that, you, that, 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 that when, when our Paul talks about um, sex in a, in a godly way, he's speaking about sex between a man and a woman. You know? Homosexuality is not God's best. It's, Romans 1 talks about it's the result of sin. Homosexuality, the, the behavior of is just not... Not okay from God's perspective, yeah? So when the Bible talks about sex, we're talking about husband and wife in a marriage, in a marriage relationship. That's, that, that is healthy. And Paul writes here to avoid sexual immorality. Avoid sex outside of marriage, a heterosexual man and wife marriage. Avoid it. Now, the word avoid is too, is too soft here. In the NIV, the commentators say it's, it's uh, too soft. It shouldn't say avoid. It should be abstain from, stay away from, don't get involved in it. And the, and, and, and the other thing I, w- I want to say here is, man, you'll love this. Don't avoid sex. Avoid, amen? Avoid sexual immorality. I only got one amen for that. Let's try that again. Everyone, do not avoid sex. Amen? The girls didn't say that very loud. What's that about, girls? The Bible says avoid sexual immorality because sex is important within marriage. Look at this, patch, look at this passage here from 1 Corinthians 7. Sex protects you from sexual immorality. Now, this is not every time, every case, because people make poor choices. But look at 1 Corinthians 7, 5, and the boys are going to love this verse. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex is important in a marriage because it keeps people connected. It keeps the men's, men satisfied, if I can use that phrase. And, and that helps men, be, rather than be distracted and girls to be distracted and allowing Satan to influence you, sex within a marriage is good and it's helpful and it's holy. Amen? Let's go on. Verse 4. Listen, this is where it gets a bit deeper. Let's, we're going to look at, I'm going to give you verse 3, then into verse 4. It is God's will that you, you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and, and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. I want to look at this phrase that each of you should learn to control your own body. Now, this is a difficult phrase because the commentators in the original Greek don't know exactly what it means. The, the, the NIV Bible translates, translates it like this, learn to control your own body. But the RSV, which is the more literal translation, translates it like this, that each one of you that each one of you know how to take a wife for himself. Again, that each one of you know how to take a wife for himself. So the commentators are confused. Does Paul mean control your own body or does he mean take a wife for yourself? 
commentators are unsure. Some Bibles translate it this way, some Bible translate it that way. But either way you translate it, it's okay. Because we see this theme throughout the New Testament. If we, if we take the NIV translation of the Greek, well, self-control is in Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit. That we're not to run after whatever the flesh pleases, but we're to ask God for his Spirit. And the work of the Spirit enough gives us self-control so that we can follow God. And there's a number of scriptures that talk about don't follow the flesh, but rather choose to please God. So if that's true, men, control your body. Don't just follow the desires of the flesh, rather honor God. But if it is the other way, and if it is around um, men, take a wife for yourself, well, that makes sense as well, because the Bible encourages marriage, and encourages husband and wife getting together and becoming one. And then in this verse, it then talks about how that oneness should look. It should look holy and honorable in your relationships. Sex should be holy and honorable, meaning men, women, sex should not be demanded, not driven by fear or guilt, and sex should not be abusive or anything like that 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 our Jesus would not be pleased with. It's up to a husband and wife honoring in that relationship you guys work out what you want to do in that. Well, who, as long as you guys are in agreement, awesome. And it's Jesus honoring, go for it. Husbands and wives, go for it. So when you go home, pastor said, go for it. <laughs> I might get a few quotes, I think, about this one. Holy and honorable. Then Paul goes on in verse 5, and he says this. Let me go back. Not in passionate lust for each other, like the, like, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. You know, we, we, we all have a sex drive. There's this chemical goes off within us where, where God made us attracted to the opposite sex, and that's a good thing. But at the fall of mankind, that got skewy, and it all went round the wrong way. Skewy, that's a funny word too, can't use that word. That got all round the wrong way, and it's not as God intended. And so these flesh desires that rise up within me and rise up within you, they're not always godly. And so when we're, we're not to run around like people, pagans, people who are outside of God's kingdom and pursue whatever pleases us. Rather, we're to honor God when these desires come up and say, no, I choose not to do that. And I choose to have a wonderful relationship with my wife. Amen? Amen. Let's go on. Verse 6, Paul writes, and, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage, or a brother or a sister. That's interesting. Why would he put that there? In the church, I mean, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we spend lots of relationship together, it's easy for emotions to click and easy for hearts to flutter. We need to protect ourselves even more within the body because when I say the body, I'm talking about the church because these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And do not take advantage of them. We had, a, we had an event a number of years ago, there was a man in our church um, texting younger girls, they were all, all, over eight, all over 18, point that out there, and he was saying, can you send me nude photos, please, of yourself in the shower? Well, when we found that out, we dealt with that. <laughs> we are dealt with that. That's taking advantage of a brother or sister in Christ, and that's not okay. He goes on to say, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Now, there's a day of judgment when God punishes, but the Bible also talks about discipline. And God can discipline you specifically, but he also can use the church leadership and the church community to get alongside you and say, it's not appropriate to send those text messages. Church discipline is there too. 
We're getting to the end. We're nearly there. Verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. We're not to live like the rest of the world, but we're to live holy. And finally, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. God wants us to please him. And one of the ways we can please him is to stay away from sex outside of marriage or anything connected with that and have healthy marriages where sex is part of that beautiful marriage relationship. As we come to the end of this message, why is sexual sin such a problem? Let's answer this. Because when you have sexual relationships with someone, you become one with them. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 about having a relationship with a prostitute. You become one with them. There is a connection. It's not just physical. People talk about soul ties. There is a connection where part of me gets connected to you and part of you gets connected to me in that sexual oneness. It's much more than physical. There is, a, there is an emotional, spiritual connection. There is a passing on in that, in that oneness. It's like you get um, blue and pink, not blue and blue or pink and pink, very important, a blue and pink, boy and girl, and you get your glue stick and you cover it in glue and then you stick it together. In that act of sex, you become one, right? And now this is one I did earlier, of course. That when you, when you come apart, you actually leave part of the other person on them. On, on them. And not only do you leave part of yourself on them, it actually, it actually damages you. We were never designed for sex outside of marriage. Sex was designed for within marriage. And God's way, it is... It is beautiful. Sex outside of marriage hurts you, hurts others. We only need to talk around um, people who are married that have affairs, man. That just messes up generations. Not just that, but their kids and the parents and the aunties and uncles and people then choose sides and then, man, it's just a mess. And their kids are affected by it as they grow up, which affects their grandkids. And, man, it's just, it's, 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 it's just a mess. But, but... There is forgiveness. And this is the important piece. Because if you, were, if you became a Christian in your 40s, most likely you had sex outside of marriage. If you, had, if you became a Christian in your 20s, most likely you had sex outside of marriage. If you became a Christian like my wife four, well, that's a different story, isn't it? But even sometimes Christians have sex outside of marriage. And we know it's wrong. There is a conviction of the Holy Spirit that God puts in us. And when that comes, we need to recognize what it is. It's saying, God's saying, hey, that's not cool. I'm not pleased with that behavior. Repent. Come to me. And I'll forgive you. And I will wipe that guilt. I will wipe that shame. I will, wait. I will wipe the slate clean. So as I've shared today, no doubt... No doubt this message has stirred up stuff for you. If you didn't have sex before marriage and you're having sex within a marriage, you're going, yay, Nathan, thank you for that. That's encouraging. But if you have a past, and if you've asked God for forgiveness and it's dealt with, you know, that's great. It's over. It's finished. It's done. Great. 
But maybe you're still carrying some of that guilt, some of that shame, some of that pain. Maybe you're still carrying it. You know, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or raise your hand because we don't need to know that. It's just between you and God, yeah? And even if you've got that stuff in your past, we're not going to judge you any differently because the reality is I reckon most people in our church would have a past in this. I'd say 70%. How do I know that? Because I talk to people. I know people in this church. And the reason I say that is not to condemn you, to say it's okay in that it's not okay, but it is okay because we're all fallen and we're all broken and we all need the forgiveness of Jesus. So as we come to the end, if you're watching online or, or right in the room, I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and, and if you need to come to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I encourage you to tell him now. I encourage you to, just to pray and say, God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Tell him what you've done. Tell him who it's with. Say, God, I'm sorry the wrong thing with this person. Please forgive me. Pray that prayer. Take some time and pray that prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your forgiveness. The blood of Jesus covers all sin and washes our guilt and washes our shame away. God, there's many in this room watching online that have sinned in this area. And if they've confessed it to you, God, they are now forgiven. They are now forgiven. Friend, you are now forgiven. Sitting in your lounge room, sitting at home, watching this online, if you've confessed it as sin and you ask him, you've asked God to forgive you, you are now forgiven. For those in this room, if you've confessed it and you've asked him to forgive you, you are now forgiven. You are now washed clean. That is now your past. It's dealt with by Jesus. Father, I want to pray, Lord, that uh, we, want, we want to break any soul ties. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that uh, you will break the soul ties. Where people have asked for forgiveness, I pray you'll break those soul ties, that you will return to each person that what's been passed on or what's been lost, that, that, that you will return at God in the spirit realm, that you would break emotional ties in the name of Jesus and that you would set your people free. But we would, we would not walk around in guilt and in shame because of our past, but we would recognize our standing in you, that you are pleased with us, that we are now sanctified in you. And that God, from this moment, from this day forward, that we would choose to make choices that honor you. Choose, choose actions that please you. Make decisions that honor you. Make, change our heart, God, and our mind, that we may think differently, act differently. That we may become more and more like your son, Jesus. We bless you, God, and we thank you. Maybe you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you never committed your life to Jesus. I want to pray for you now. I encourage you to pray this prayer after me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you pray that prayer for the first time, just become a Christian. Welcome to the family. If you pray that online, I encourage you to click on the prayer tab and some will pray with you and connect with you and will help you on your journey. And if you're here in the room and you prayed that, I encourage you to tell the person who invited you today. We'll have a prayer team at the front. Tell, somebody, tell someone at the front who's prayed for you. Or go to the start here desk. Tell them you prayed that prayer. 
Because that prayer is the beginning of a journey. It's not the destination. It's the, it's, it's the ticket. It's this beginning of a journey where you live a life that pleases Him and honors Him. And we want to help you do that. So we're going to say goodbye to those online. Thanks for being part of it. God bless you guys. May God's hand of blessing be upon you. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer, and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the Next Step button.